Well, we're in the 72nd Psalm for our uh, message tonight. It was a reading, and it's a wonderful psalm. One of, one of my uh, favorite psalms to, to speak on. And I, I want to just say this, that, that if you're looking for a title, it's this. A divine template for the rule of godly kings. A divine template for the rule of godly kings. This is a template for godly rulers. Uh, God, I believe, gives... Uh, he gives forth his word and he expects us to uh, act on that word, to implement that word. And I believe that this psalm, is, it really should be, you know, this psalm should be read probably every day uh, in any place of governance in Britain, particularly the Houses of Parliament, Westminster and the other uh, elected assemblies because unless we learn as a people and as a nation to allow we're not allowed unless we learn to implement what God says is how nations should be governed we will never be governed the way that will be that, that will bless us and that will be effective in given us progress, prosperity, and all these things. In other words, if we don't listen to God's word and we don't listen to the Lord, then we will always be stumbling and we will always be find it, we, we fall short. Right now, governance is the number one problem, issue, challenge, whatever it is, that faces the church at this time. Because we have... In every, every part of the United Kingdom and across the world, we have the conflict between righteousness and wickedness, or between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And we see a lot of stuff going on. Uh, it's, it's, it's not just about the virus, but, but also the ramifications as governments seek to clamp down on people's liberties. And then we see... Uh, the riots and we just basically see Marxism and communism rearing its head you know we were told that all the that communists, communism was dead we were told that weren't we we were told that but you know there was warning voices way back in the 80s saying that Marxism communism in other words the, the beast the antichrist system wasn't Hadn't gone away, it just got dormant. Apparently it was hiding, but it would arise again. And it's arisen in our time. That system which despises God, despises his ecclesia, his church, despises his word, despises laws based on his word. And we, we are surrounded now by the modern day tribes that when Israel was uh, reading the Bible, it was all the apes, the Amalekites, the Hittites, and all these different tribes that would come against Israel. But in our day, the people of God are set around by the isms, aren't they? Communism, socialism, humanism, atheism, feminism, all the isms. Notice how there's 
all the isms, there's never a good thing that ends in ism. And that's what we're faced with. So we need the template. We need, Lord, how are we governed? In a way that glorifies you. In a way that causes us to be a righteous and holy nation. And here we see, and, and this is where we're blessed here in Britain because um, there are elements of this that you, you can take the principle. But you know, in America and other places, you don't have a king. You don't have a kingdom. They have republics and democracies. And I don't read thy democracy come. Or thy republic come. Heaven is not a republic. And it is not a democracy. And there are no opposition parties. The opposition got kicked out. And Jesus isn't up for re-election every four or five years. So if you're going to pray thy kingdom come and let what's happening in heaven be here on earth, and you really mean that, you're actually praying for the demise and destruction of the political system. That's not a bad thing. Can we stretch our faith to believe that God has something better? You know, something better did start to happen here in the 17th century when the Puritans took dominion. It didn't last long and it maybe didn't end great, but you know, we've already had this and we had it even in Celtic times. So, so our, these islands have known a measure of the rule of God working through uh, the, the governance of men. But anyway, I want to get into this psalm. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. Now, if David wrote this, what he's really saying is, give the king your judgments. And David understood this, that the king has to judge according to God's judgment, not his personal opinion. Oh, that we had leaders in our nation that judge righteously and not based on personal opinion. You know, I don't like that person so I'm going to judge against them. And David even prayed as a king, don't let that not be the case. But he was also, he was asking in a sense what, that Solomon, and see Solomon must have heard his father speaking and praying and thinking along these lines. So when God says to him, what do you want? Tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. Rather than saying, well, I'd like a nice big house, I'd like this, I'd like that. He says, give me wisdom. To judge righteously. To discern. To be a man of wisdom. Because the number one thing that a king needs, or a national leader needs, is wisdom. And proper, godly judgment and discernment. We're in a mess as a nation today. Not just because we don't have leaders that think like this, speak like this, pray like this, and read this book, but because the church has not prayed for such rulers and leaders. And the rulers and leaders that we have, the church has been negligent. And I know that. I've been around this game of being a believer for a long time. I've been to prayer meetings. I've been to churches where they never, ever pray according to the biblical pattern. You don't get biblical results if you don't do the biblical procedures, if you understand. But David understood, and he said, give it the righteousness unto the king's son. David didn't just pray for himself, he understood the importance of succession. 
Not good if you've got a good king, but followed by a dud king or a wicked king. And Israel had a whole series of kings in all of the kingdom. Not one of them, God says, was good. Judah had some good kings, but a few duds, probably the worst of all, who was Manasseh. Uh, and but at, the, at, his end times, at the end of his life, he repented and his heart softened towards the Lord. So, But you see, the importance of leadership, nationally speaking, which is why it's such a big theme in this book. The first five books of the Bible are about a national leader, Moses. Certainly the, 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 the four books where he featured. Then we have Joshua, another national leader. Then we have Judges, more national leaders. And then we go into uh, the Samuel Chronicles, Kings. They're all about leaders, or, or kings. And then we get into the Psalms, which were written about kings, by kings, and this Psalm in particular, and, and others. Then Proverbs, which, which were written, or compiled at least, by a king. Then the prophets, all speaking to kings, to kingdoms, and ministering to kings. It's so important. And you know, God, the word church that we have, the Greek word is actually ecclesia, and it means governmental assembly. God is in the business of teaching us that proper governance is what we're supposed to believe and pray for and, and how we're supposed to, to live by. And in fact, if you look at the whole, uh, the whole of history, it's the history of mostly bad governance, isn't it? Bad governance leads to wars. Which is why Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And it says of Jesus' rule, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. The increase of his government and peace. See, government is supposed to bring peace. Not war, not conflict, not violence, not poverty, not economic collapse, not unfairness and injustice and corruption and decadence and moral depravity. Government is supposed to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Because it's supposed to be based on the kingdom of God in heaven. And when we accept any, any lesser standard, we are falling short of the glory of God. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. In this psalm and in other places we see this theme. That God has a heart for the poor. There are no plebs with God. I despise that word. But you hear it a lot, don't you? And, and this is the whole thing about socialism. Is that they say, well, our rulers treat us as plebs. They treat us unfairly and unjustly. But then, of course, when socialists get to power, they just do the same thing. Because the heart of man is wicked. And anybody, you know, knows this. I mean, I remember my dad teaching me this. That employers back in the old days, if they had a firebrand socialist or commie in their work, who was, you know, stirring up the workers against the bosses, 
Well, how did they, how did they nullify that threat? They gave them a promotion, they gave them more money, and that shut them up. Because you see, the love of money is the root of all evil, and so much of socialism is the politics of envy. But you see, the thing is that God says, God, took, God cut that out of the root so that there wouldn't be envy, that there wouldn't be this uh, class war that so often creeps in. How do you that he says to kings, you treat the poor fairly and you look after the poor and you be the protector of the poor. Then you don't need trade unions, then you don't need political parties or movements because if the king or the queen does their job right, we'll see this is going. He says, this is the king he's talking about. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. God's heart is for the poor. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. Now, this is a wonderful picture, in, again in particular, of our society here in Britain because mountains in Scripture, it can speak of kingdoms or nations, but it can also speak of governments. So mountains, he's saying the mountains, the governments. So you see, we have in, our, in Britain, we have a monarchy. And the only person anointed to rule in Britain is the sovereign. Right now, that's Queen Elizabeth. But we also have governments, don't we? And, and sadly, we get more and more governments now. We have a lot more governments than when I first uh, appeared on the scene. And some of you, we had, we had Westminster, but now we've got Holyrood. And, um, I know Alistair's a big fan of uh, First Minister. <laughs> And we've got the Wales one, I don't know what that's called, and Northern Ireland Stormont, which is basically not really working much right now. We've got all these governments. And we also have little hills, which are councils. And unless, you know, you understand? Regional councils, city councils, community councils. So governance is all around us. Men need to be governed. That's why God gave Moses the law. And some of that law, of course, was ceremonial, but so much of it was the civic code, and God said, this is the law to live by. And that's why here in England and up in Scotland, so much of our law until recent times was based on the civic code of Moses, the law of God. There has to be punishments for evildoers. You might personally forgive them and, and, and show them grace on a one-to-one -one level, but the law exists to punish evildoers. But when you change the definition of evil from what God says is evil to what Antichrist government says is evil, then, then, then we have a problem with God. When we, when we redefine things like gender, marriage, and, and other things, then we're messing with God's law. But you see, the job of a king, because I'm sure some of you do remember the film in recent years, The King's Speech, I actually referred to that this morning, a wonderful film, about uh, President Queen's late father, George VI, who, when he uh, came to the throne, it was a challenge for him because he had a stutter and a stark stand. And he went to the speech therapist. Uh, and it's a true story. And he was, he was uh, 
cured of that if you want to use that word so that you could speak effectively you see our problem in Britain today is that we have drifted away from our constitutional monarchy the, the, monarch, the constitutional monarchy we have was supposed to be a check and a balance between the power of the throne which was abused by Stuart kings who saw the divine right of kings to be you know, absolute kings to do whatever they wanted chop their head off if they wanted and sorry but the Stuart kings I know they came from Scotland so I apologise and the powers of parliament but there's supposed to be a balance you see a monarchy or a sovereign is supposed to have not the absolute word but the ultimate word that makes sense. So we have what's called the royal prerogative, which means the Queen must give assent to bills passed through Parliament. But more and more over the years, we've seen power transfer from the throne to Parliament. And some people think that's great. And in the beginning it was wonderful because it meant that there was a check and balance on the power of the monarchy. But now it's not so wonderful. Why? Because our royal house is not allowed to, to pass comment on anything so-called political why is that a problem i'll tell you why because it's against this book because the king or the queen is supposed to speak the mind and purpose of god and they're supposed to know it the very first verse give the king thy judgment in other words give the monarch the knowledge of his word so that if parliament is strained and the people are strained the king or queen can speak and say, wait a minute, hold on, let's go back to the book. Then it says, he shall judge the poor of the people, he shall save the children of the needy, and shall break in pieces the oppressor. So many charities have sprung up because of oppression, because of unfairness, of injustice, and and all of that, you know that if, if, if the king or queen of the monarchy was, was right with God and, and, and doing this, you wouldn't need a lot of these charities. Because the king's job is to look after those who need it most. That's a radical concept. It's only radical because we don't know this book. It's a biblical concept, brothers and sisters. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, the showers of water. All for a leader who was refreshing because they put God's word first and were sold out to Jesus. Amen. Bible believing uh, kings and queens. That's what we need. In his knees shall the righteous flourish. Let me ask this. Are the righteous flourishing right now? Are those who stand for righteousness, Christian people, are they the ones that are exalted and honoured in our society? Because righteousness is such a precious and valued thing. No, they're persecuted, pillaged, and abused and vilified. Remember Mary Whitehouse? Who's old enough to remember her? It's shown your age. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I mean, they've used that window. Why? Because she stood for righteousness. She stood for biblical values. 
Not, not moral values, biblical values. See, mor- morality is the, is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not moral crusaders, we're, we're, we're biblical crusaders. Amen? Watch this. An abundance of peace, there is peace again. Abundance of peace. Peace is the fruit of righteous government. Peace is the fruit of godly order and godly men and women in our parliaments. Peace is the fruit of a nation governed by somebody who has, who's aligned with the throne of glory. You say, well, what does that look like? Let me, let's be honest. When did we last see that model? But it's still the biblical template. It's still the blueprint God says, this is how it should be. You know, God's patient. God responds, we've looked at it here before, God responds to wicked kings and those in authority. You know, we, oh, oh, he, he must be, you know, outraged. He laughs. He has them in derision. Why? Because God knows he's in control. One day God will have this. But, but I believe that he'll have it when the people of God get serious about praying for him. Look at that. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Now Britain had dominion from sea to sea. All the seas of the earth. Britain ruled. And it says here from the river unto the ends of the earth. That's not just general vague things. It's the river Euphrates and the ends of the earth were the northern coastlands and British Isles. All the way around Africa. Britain once had dominion of all of that. Why? Because we were a godly nation. And remember Queen Victoria, the, I think it was an Indian prince, certainly from that continent, who travelled all the way to England to ask her the secret of Britain's greatness. And she said, that's, basically said, that's easy there. It's, she pointed to an open Bible. Let me ask right now, no, no one's coming to ask what's the secret of Britain's greatness today, are they? Are they? Because there's nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing to trumpet about. But even if they did, who, would, who in our government would point them to an open Bible? Who would be able to know what the Bible, where the Bible was? They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. Dominion is the province, it's the, the fruit, it's the product of righteous government. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Watch this again. All kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him. Yes, there's a messianic aspect to this. Of course there is. But the primary thing is it's a principle. We could go to speak about the, the British Royal House and... Um, that the that, that their descent, descent from David, the house of David, but it's a principle. It's a principle in a sense that even Americans could say, "Well, a righteous president, a godly president, any nation that will pray for their rulers, and they, they will see the blessings of that, because this is a template for governments." 
For he shall deliver the needy when he cries there. It is again back to, the, back to that theme. Remember when Paul read to the apostles in Jerusalem and, and he said that the one thing that he said to me was, look after the poor, which I was minded to do, he says. See, God's, the poor are in God's hand. And I don't think it just means poverty as in no money poverty. It's, it's those who, have, who are poor because they're beaten down their life. And the needy. And the fatherless. And the orphans. And those who are disenfranchised. God is on their side. We don't need socialism. We don't need Lenin. We don't need Marx. We don't need these guys. Why? Because God is on the side of the poor. And God's way of looking after the poor is to raise up a godly king. And godly rulers in the nation. And I want to ask tonight, and we pray for that. We'll get to that in a minute. He shall deliver the needy when he crieth. The poor also, and him that hath no helper. That hymn, uh, I love that hymn. Abide with me. Help of the helpless. Help of the helpless. Oh, abide with me. He's the help of the helpless. He's the hope of the hopeless. Him that has no help. God says, a king who will align with me and who will work with me and who will be sold out to me will be the helper of those that have no help. Who wants a nation governed by someone like that? I know I do. You say, well, that's Jesus. But, but he's not talking about Jesus here. He's talking about David and those of his descent. In other words, he's talking about the, the kings of Israel, kings of Judah. He's talking about godly kings. And I believe there's a principle that he's talking about anybody who has authority over people, they must have a heart for the poor and needy and the helpless. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence and precious shall their blood be in their sight. Lots of our rulers, we know it. We don't need to be told. It's not a conspiracy theory. We know it. So many of our rulers, our elected officials and so on, you know, and, and it summed up that, that famous phrase by uh, Marie Antoinette. Let them eat cake. Yeah? The poor, who cares? They're plebs. They're cannon fodder. They're just uh, mouths to feed. But not a godly king. A godly king cares. You know, the early church, we talk about the early, oh, we need to get back to the early church. Well, let's go back to the early church. Because in the early church, they made a decision, we're not going to have any poor in amongst us. So that those who had sold what they had, and put it at the apostles' feet, and they distributed it to those. So those that had, supported those that didn't. Why? Because God's heart's for the poor. And God's people's hearts should be for the poor. And kings who are uh, godly, their heart is for the poor. A godly king wakes up in the morning and says, do we still have poor people? Because if we do, we need to take care of that. Not, oh, how, how much tax can we get out of the rich so that we can do what I want to do? It's just all about emphasis. And if a king does not have the love of money, which is the root of all evil, or the love of power, which is much the same thing, then if he's delivered from that, he, he 
will have a heart to say, we need to, we need to be about the business of finding people with need and meeting that need. So we just we, when have we ever had rulers at? We, 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 we have, they're biblical, and, and probably one or two in history who stepped into that zone. But that's our crying need tonight. Because you see, the principle is this. If you get the head right, the body will follow. All those wicked kings of Israel and those wicked kings of Judah, the nation was judged because of the wicked king. And the nation was blessed when they had a good king with Josiah or Hezekiah. The nation was blessed. Why? Because if the head is right, the body will follow. Kings and queens and rulers are gatekeepers of the people. And we'll look at that when we need to hurry along. Sorry, folks. Um, and let's just uh, bash on a little bit here. Verse 15 says, Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. Uh, for him shall endless prayers be made, in the, as the hymn goes. Let me ask this. Do you pray continually for Her Majesty the Queen, or Boris Johnson, for those who have the authority and rule over us. Because we're not asked to do that, but it's not suggested that we do that. We're commanded to do that. I would say, go so far as to say that a king or a queen, and even people that Boris and President Trump and all these rulers, and some of them are people that we necessarily agree with or like, but are we prayed for? Because I believe a king or a queen is only as strong as the prayers of God's saints. We are upholding them before the throne of grace and prayer and asking for God to, to intervene. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. And what I believe that means is he, God turns their heart according to the prayers of the saints. Rather than the criticisms that we give him. And we're all guilty of that. And there's nothing wrong. By the way, you have the right to criticise a ruler because you're a check and balance. But unless you take it to the throne of God in prayer, nothing will be done. Except you will be cemented into position the existing bad condition. In other words, you just, you just, you just keep enforcing what's going on rather than saying that needs to change. And God will change it if we pray. He'll either change the person uh, or he'll change the personnel. In other words, that person, if they keep having their heart, you'll remove them and replace them. If the saints pray. All right. Uh, let's just very quickly, because we're a little bit of... Uh, all nations shall be blessed in him. Men shall be blessed, and all nations shall call him blessed. Can we say that about our rulers? Very briefly, let's just turn to First Timothy, uh, because this is the New Testament. Uh, and very quickly we'll do this. We've looked at this verses, these verses, but let's just do it very, very quickly and then we'll close our service. I exhort therefore, chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, verse 1, that first of all, first of all's priority, not your auntie Mary Soto or, you know, uh, all the stuff that we pray about, the prayer meetings, that's wonderful to pray about, but is this our priority? How many prayer meetings would they never pray this? And churches. Let's have a time of prayer. Oh yes, oh yes. Never pray this. The priority. First of all. Does God mean first of all or does he mean if you like? I exhort therefore 
that if you like, or read down maybe 23rd in line, he says, first of all, the purpose of prayer, the priority of prayer, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Pray God's global purpose in the earth. Pray the kingdom. How do you pray for all men? Oh Lord, bless all men. He says, for kings and for all that are in authority, he says the strategy, the key, is to pray for kings and those in authority. Why? Because they're the gatekeepers of the people. And in China right now, you have the, the rulers in other places that are attacking churches, attacking Christians. Christians losing their liberty, their lives, their livelihoods. Why? Because they have bad, wicked rulers. But if you change the rulers, either by changing the people or changing the personnel, then you release those people because where the head goes, the body falls. So pray about wicked governments. Pray for the rulers that they'll repent. Think about Paul on the road to Damascus. A man in authority, a man with, with authorization to put Christians to death. Part of the government apparatus at that time in Israel. What happened? Bang! Paul radically changed. We need a few Damascus Road experiences amongst our rulership. Across the earth and here in Britain. Anyway, he says this. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. In other words, the key to a peaceable life, the key to a wonderful life, to godliness and justice and honesty and all of these things in the land and peace, 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 abundance of peace is pray for our rulers. Pray for our queen. Oh, but we do pray. Pray more then. Because we need more effective praying. And when, and how, well, how, when will we know it'll work when you see peace and godliness and honesty and things changing? We need to hurry up. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour who of all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And that was the purpose of God to, to revive the nation and have people saved and have an awakening. Comes through prayer for kings and those that are in authority. Well, I'm running out of time. I think we've covered it uh, as much as we can. You know, I've preached along these lines before here uh, several times, many times. But it's still a central message, an essential message. Because things haven't gotten any better, have they? So we need more prayer, more fervent prayer. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So God needs us. Let's just very quickly do it and then we'll sing our final hymn. Father, we just bring before you this matter. Again, we've prayed tonight for our Queen. We've prayed for those in authority. But we bring it before you once more, Father. Give, us, give everybody the sound of my voice tonight. Including me, Father, the urgency to pray, pray, pray. Effective prayers. Not just wailing prayers. But, Father, prayers that get right to the heart of this business. That will see a Britain, a Scotland, an England, a Wales, a Northern Ireland. Turn to you. Because our leaders turn to you. 
cry out to you for wisdom. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, folks.